Hi friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that he's going to be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who he created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now, enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. Right now, we're continuing our Good Life series where we've been looking at what does it mean to have the good life here in this world. And today, we have a guest speaker, somebody that, that I know and love really well. Uh, she came back in the fall and had an incredible message. And so we were like, she should come back and talk again. Um, so would you guys please join me in welcoming up Heidi Matson? Good morning, Friends Church Orange. How you doing? Good. I'm glad to be here with you today and to get to be part of your series in 1 Peter on the good life. And we've defined the good life as life with God, that that is the good life, right? No matter what. And if you've been paying attention or reading 1 Peter on your own, you might have noticed something. And that is that there's a certain theme that shows up in all five chapters of the book of Peter, of 1 Peter. And we're going to talk about that theme today. You've covered it at least once already in this series, but we're going to cover it again today. And that topic is suffering. So turn to your neighbor and say, aren't you glad you came today? (laughs) But here's the thing. Joy doesn't exist without suffering. Hope doesn't exist without despair. And love doesn't exist without grief. And so there's going to be good things for us in the midst of this topic on suffering. As I was thinking of you all this week and praying for you and praying through this sermon, I thought there's probably three groups of people here today. And the first group, you might be a people who like, you haven't really suffered all that much yet. You know, you can't find a parking space at Target and that's like the depth of your suffering. Or, or if you're a Duke fan, like, okay, you're suffering today. But But suffering really hasn't been a part of your story. And it made me think back to early March 2020. Do you remember early March 2020? Uh, There was this thing called COVID that was starting to ramp up. And I tend to be like a super underreactor with those kind of things. I'm a little bit of an eye roller in the beginning, like, you know, whatever. And I also live alone, so I, didn't, I don't keep a bunch of food in the cupboard. If I eat cereal at night for dinner, like whatever, no big deal. But I, my kids were coming from out of town to spend like five days with me, so I needed to go to the grocery store and get some food. And I got to the grocery store and there were no grocery carts. And I walked in the store and there were droves of people lined all the way around the store. And people were saying it was gonna take like two hours to get through the line. And then I was looking on the shelves and there was like no food. And I thought to myself, I think I haven't been paying attention. I think I'm a little behind the curve. And guess what? I'm totally unprepared. So if you're in the first group today where suffering hasn't been a part of your life, I wanna say to you, don't be like me in March, 2020. Take this in, plant it deep in your head somewhere. Store it somewhere safe. Check on it, everyone small, because you better believe I have toilet paper, paper towels, water bottles, and some food in a cupboard that I do not touch, right? And so that's what I want you to do with this message. I want you to tuck it away. I want you to take it in. I want you to pay attention and be prepared. Second group, 
There's a group who's suffering presently right now. There are a multitude of reasons that we suffer. Could be physical sickness, could be that you experienced losing someone by death, it could be divorce, it could be unemployment, it could be loss of a dream. There are a million different ways that suffering comes and you might be someone who's in the middle of a season of suffering. And what I want to say to you is that in the next chapter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that the God of all grace will himself restore you. And so my hope is, as you're here today, you feel seen and understood by God and your church family, and that you find, you glean and gather something enough from this message that you will hold on while God is in the process of restoring you. And the third group of you would be uh, the group that I'm in, and like you're the survivors of suffering, right? We belong to the, the fellowship of the suffering Did you see what I did there? It's like a Tolkien reference. Okay, some of you are tracking. That's good. Okay, so it's the fellowship of suffering like we've survived. And what I hope this message elicits out of you is that gratitude for the fact that God really has been faithful to you all the days of your life and that you can pray for your brothers and sisters here and that you will offer thanksgiving to God. So uh, grab your Bibles, whether it's on your phone, we have Bibles in the back of the room, whether you have a brick and mortar Bible, which I recommend. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to mainly look at verses 12, 13, and 19, and then we're going to apply them to real life story. So let me read the scripture here for us. It's uh, 1 Peter 4, 12, 13, and 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Therefore, do not, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. A few years ago, I was flying on uh, Frontier Airlines, and I don't know if this is like a whole policy thing or if it's just the guy that was my flight attendant, but he was doing a whole comedy shtick of every little service announcement he had to make, you know, for flight safety. And when we landed, he takes his little microphone and he says, ladies and gentlemen, please be aware that as you go to retrieve your baggage out of the overhead compartments, shift happens. I really wanted to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say that, but I thought that might be a little risky. So (laughs) this is the first thing that Peter's saying to us in this verse. Suffering happens. Suffering happens. When he says, don't be surprised by the suffering that you're experiencing, he's saying that the literal translation is, think it not strange. In other words, don't consider it to be out of place. Don't think that you shouldn't experience suffering. And whatever you do, don't make a misinterpretation about God because suffering has come into your life. Because suffering happens. It's a part of living in a broken world. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of that because something in our hearts wants it to mean that when we follow Jesus, we're protected from the storms. Because see, we haven't yet come to really, really believe That Jesus with us in the storms is better than a life without storms. That Jesus with us in the storms is better even than a life without storms. 
And then Peter and the rest of the scriptures, he's saying, look, being a Christian doesn't protect you from suffering. And in fact, suffering has a role to play in your journey of faith. There's a story in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, uh, that the Lord really used in my life for my own healing and restoration. And so I'm going to tell you their story today and weave it in with a little bit of my story, so you're going to need to keep up, okay? All right. The story in John 11 is about three siblings. Their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. And they were Jesus' closest friends. It says so in the scripture. And it even goes so far out of the way to just say a specific statement. Jesus loved them. These people were tight with Jesus. They had experienced a lot of really significant things together in life. And when we jump into their story in chapter 11, Lazarus, the brother, has become very sick. In fact, it says in the Bible, he was sick unto death, meaning he was dying. That's how sick he was. And so Mary and Martha send for Jesus. But the plot thickens when Jesus doesn't come right away. Mary and Martha were confused and hurt. You see, like us, they had this hidden expectation in their heart that because they were Jesus' dearest friends and because he loved them, he would protect Lazarus from death. And so when Jesus didn't come, they were surprised, like Peter said. It seemed out of place. And they, um, they didn't know what to make of it. And when at last Jesus did come, Lazarus was already dead. And both of these sisters, they were not together when Jesus finally arrived at their house, so they each greeted him separately. But they both said the same exact thing when Jesus got there. Both Mary and Martha in their encounter with Jesus said, Lord, where were you? I mean, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you, Lord? Mary and Martha were surprised at their suffering and they were disappointed that Jesus did not act in the way that they expected or wanted him to. Boy, do I relate to that. Anybody? Anybody relate to that? You see, my journal is full of entries of things like that, things that say, you know what, God, you could have done something differently. You're the God of the universe. And yet this is what you allowed. You confuse me. You hurt me. But you're my only hope. So where does that leave me exactly? Right? For me, it started on a beautiful April day, not a cloudy, foggy one like this. It was the kind of April day where you have bright blue sky and puffy white clouds and bright sunshine and crisp air. And you think, this is why I pay high property taxes to live in Southern California. Our days like this, right? And I was heading to the party store with one of my best friends because we were planning a big old sweet 16 bash for our two daughters who were best friends. And while we were at the party store, I got a phone call. And the phone call said, your husband collapsed at work. And he's at this hospital. And that's, that's all I knew. So we left our cart in the middle of the aisle and we jumped in the car to drive to the hospital. We arrived at the hospital and we waited for what seemed like forever. Until finally, a doctor came out and said exactly what you hear on those medical shows. I'm sorry, Mrs. Matson. We did everything we could, but we were unable to save your husband. 
And what I remember next was hearing this terrible sound, this awful kind of wailing, and I didn't even realize it was me until my nephew caught me because I was falling to the ground. And then I thought, how do I tell my girls? You see, we had three daughters, and my daughters were 10, 13, and 16. What words do you use exactly to tell three girls that their daddy is gone? Three weeks later, I would stand at a graveside with my youngest 10-year-old tucked right in front of me and my other two daughters on either side of me, my arms around them, staring at a hole in the ground and thinking, I got to be brave. I have to lead this family. I have to tell these girls it's going to be okay. When inside, all I could think was, how am I going to do this? The sorrow and the grief, they outweigh everything. Sorrow outweighs my courage. The grief outweighs my resources. The trauma outweighs my faith. How am I going to do this? And it was the beginning of my journey through the valley of the shadow of death and understanding the relationship between suffering and faith. So you see, I understand Mary and Martha's confusion And I understand what Peter means when he says, listen, suffering happens. Don't misinterpret God because of it. I don't think Peter or any of the writers of the Bible, however, are saying, suffering happens, so get over it. Life is hard. Stop whining. Come on. Buck up. In fact, earlier in the book of Peter, Peter says, as Christians, we grieve and we rejoice. We do both of those things fully. We grieve and rejoice because they coexist, just like love and grief, doubt and faith, sorrow and joy. Life is hard and painful, and Jesus knows that personally and firsthand, and he responds to Mary and Martha out of that place. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't tell them to buck up. Mary, when she comes to Jesus, when he finally arrives at the house and she comes to Jesus, she's so overwhelmed with her confusion and her grief and her disappointment that she just throws herself at the feet of Jesus and says, Lord, where were you? And then you know what the scripture says? It says that when, she, when Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus was moved by her grief. That gets me every time. Because Jesus wasn't surprised. But he was moved. And if Jesus was moved by her grief, then guess what? He's moved by yours. And he's moved by mine. Suffering happens. Peter tells us so. But he also tells us that it never happens purposelessly. It never happens separate from God's love. It never happens from God being moved. But suffering does have its place in our journey of faith because our suffering has a purpose. And what Peter is telling us here is that our sufferings are meant to strengthen our faith, not shipwreck it. They're meant to help us know God more deeply 
not cause us to misinterpret who he is, because they connect us to Christ and his suffering on our behalf. If you belong to that third group I described with me today, you and I, we don't really have to know much about each other, but we will get each other. There will be a certain level on which in that fellowship of suffering, we just get each other. And that's part of what Peter is saying is we can get Jesus in our sufferings because Jesus suffered and Jesus gets us. But it doesn't stop there because not only do our sufferings connect us to Christ in his sufferings, but Peter says they position us to see his glory revealed. Now, whenever we start talking about the reason for suffering, it's tricky business, right? I mean, that's the question of the universe that everyone wants to know. If God is good, why is there suffering, right? It gets a little, it gets a little sticky, it gets a little hairy when we try to talk about it. I remember someone saying to me after my husband died, do you know why God did this to you yet? I was like, do you know why God didn't give you a brain? I didn't really say that. That thought is not acceptable, and it came out of my pain, so, you know. I had someone else say to me, like, this is going to make you so much better of a therapist. And I was like, for the love, I'm a good enough therapist as it is. Right? What I found in my journey of suffering, that particularly here in the West, we want to force meaning. We want to find a reason. We want to find a reason for the suffering, not so we can grow, but so we can get out of it so we can escape it, so we can feel better. It doesn't work that way. Peter says that growing through suffering is different than going through suffering. And if we're gonna grow through suffering, we're gonna have to understand that God doesn't work on simple addition. One plus one equals two. This happened and God added it to this so he could get this. Look, Heidi, your husband died. You're going to be a better therapist. Now you're going to help more people. Boom. Nice little tidy, neat equation. God does not work on addition. We don't have really great metaphors for God because he's too huge and amazing and big. But let's try. Let's say God is more like quantum physics. Say God is like advanced trigonometry that has second derivatives that cancel each other out unless you can follow that thing all the way to its very end. That's the workings of God. And we cannot reduce meaning to some linear formula or we will minimize our own suffering. We will harm people and we will reduce God. I remember in the first few weeks after tragedy came crashing into our life, I was doing the laundry and I, I had been folding laundry in the living room with my kids and I was walking the towels back to the bathroom when I suddenly sort of checked into the conversation that was happening in my head. I hadn't even been aware of it, but it went like this. Okay, so I just need to know why. Because I can't, I, so why? So God, the thing is, like, I don't, can you, uh, why? Uh, why? just over and over and over, pouring out of my heart was like, I do not get it. Like, why? And it was in one of those rare watershed moments in my relationship with God where the Holy Spirit broke into my reality and in my spirit I felt him say, Heidi, honey, I have an answer to that question. But you're going to need the perspective of heaven to understand it. So for now, will you trust me? 
And I was like, I don't know. I want to, but you're going to have to help me. Listen, we're not always going to be able to understand the reason for our specific suffering. And when we try to force that, we do harm. But the Bible and the life of Christ is very clear about something we can know with certainty. And that is that our suffering is never wasted. And that God is using our suffering for good because our suffering connects us to the glory of God. That's what Peter is saying. Not only connects you to the suffering of Christ, but it connects you to the glory of God. And it's the very same thing Jesus says to Martha. When she comes out to greet him and she says, if you would have been here, Lord, he's not only moved by her sorrow, but he asked her to have faith. In John eleven forty, 40, it says, Martha, did I not tell you if you would persist in believing, you would see the glory of God? Now, here's the thing about the glory of God. God's glory is always connected to our good. God's glory is always connected to our good. The thing is, God's glory is this massive concept, and sometimes we don't understand it, and it is too much for us to unpack here this morning. But what I want you to know is it's not this ethereal, esoteric idea up there of God just being enthroned in light, and somehow it's about God's ego that we have to keep telling him how great he is. The glory of God encompasses, whenever the Bible talks about the glory of God, it's talking about that the glory of God contains all of the beauty of God's goodness in its supreme form. And it also contains the substantive nature of his power. His supreme goodness and his substantive power. That's what the glory of God is talking about. And that's why the revelation of the glory of God in our lives is our deepest need. It's what we need to be fully alive to God in order to see him for who he is. And it's how we will know when we are in desperate pain, when we feel ravaged by the suffering in our lives, that God is working somehow good things in all of it. Because the glory of God is our good. My friends, grief and growing through suffering, whatever your suffering is, it's work. It takes work. But God will be faithful to reveal himself to us. It was in my season of intense suffering that my belief became faith. You see, I knew what I believed, and I believed it deeply, and I meant it. And I could tell you all the scripture verses I had even orchestrated my life around it. But when all the lights went out in my life and I was standing in utter darkness and despair, when all the circumstances were screaming at me, this is not going to be okay, it's never going to be okay. That's when Jesus came in and transformed my knowing to my knowing, to faith, which is the substance of things hoped for, even though they are not seen. And he did so by revealing himself to me, not despite my suffering, but in the very midst 
of my suffering. Now, don't get me wrong. When we talk about things in retrospect, right? Because this happened a while ago. When we talk about things in retrospect, it, it can seem all neat and tidy. Remember, we're not doing addition here. I want you to know I was a hot mess for a really, really long time. I was struggling. I was suffering. My kids were struggling and brokenhearted, and that was enough to take me out. If your own suffering isn't enough, to watch your children suffer is just almost absolutely unbearable. There were more nights I cried myself to sleep than I can even tell you, and I wondered where God was in it all. It is a steep and treacherous climb through the valley of the shadow of death. And so, like Mary and Martha, I had to work through my disappointment with God. I had to wrestle with God to hold on to the truths that he was telling me about who he was and that I could trust him in my suffering. But I do want you to know, he does restore. He has faithfully restored my heart. He didn't just restore my faith. He expanded and deepened my faith. I should be more afraid today than I used to be, and I am less afraid. Because God continued to reveal himself to me. And knowing God more deeply, that's the deepest need of our hearts. It is a far deeper need than our need to not suffer. It is a far deeper need than our need to not suffer. And so Mary and Martha have to come to learn the the very same thing, right? When Martha is talking to Jesus and he's comforting her, he also calls her to faith, right? And then she says, I know even now, God, you could, Jesus, you could just relieve our suffering, even right now. You could just relieve our suffering, right? She had her, she had her eyes right here. If you would just do this thing right here, we'd all feel better. And Jesus says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I know there's resurrection coming at the end. But Jesus, here's the thing. And he goes, Martha. Resurrection isn't a belief that's distant out there for someday. Resurrection is right here because Martha, I don't just do resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection, Martha. It was a revelation that would change everything for her. It's a revelation that changes everything for us. It's a revelation that changes the world history for all time because here's the thing, the glory of God brings dead things back to life. And you might be here this morning in need of resurrection because you might have dead things in your life. You might have parts of your heart that are dead. You might have a relationship that's dead. You might be filling your life with a multitude of dead things and you're just eating the dust of ashes. If you're in need of resurrection this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is saying the very same thing to you that he said to Martha. I don't just do resurrection. I am the resurrection. Therefore, you can trust me. And that's where Peter leads us to. He says we can entrust our souls to our faithful creator. Yes, suffering happens. 
to all of us, and it's devastating. We won't always know the specific reasons, but we will know that God is working it in his plan for good because he's a God who can be trusted. When Jesus is first comes onto the scene with Mary and Martha and, and they're weeping and he's weeping with them, the verb that's used there is like um, raw, unedited sorrow. It's the same kind of cry that came out of me when I was told my husband was gone. Just that, you know, wailing kind of cry. And then when Jesus says, where have you laid him? Where have you put Lazarus? And they're walking him to the tomb. That's where we find that famous verse that we all memorized in Sunday school so we could get a candy that says Jesus wept, right? And, and that verb means there are just silent tears of lament streaming down Jesus' face. But then when Jesus is standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, something altogether different happens. And it says... Jesus is again deeply moved. But that verb, deeply moved, it's a verb that has layers to it. And one of the primary layers is fury. It's, it's a verb that's used for a war horse that is trained and ready for battle and is just stomping, waiting to go to war. When Jesus stood in front of Lazarus' tomb, he wasn't just sad. He was furious. Now, if we pull back for a minute, it kind of seems a little curious, doesn't it? I mean, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. You know that, right? So, like, what's all the drama about? Why not just come in and they're all crying? And why not just be like, hey, it's all going to be good in like 35 seconds. Let's go. Like, what's, what's all this about? What does it mean that he's moved by their sorrow? What does it mean that he stands in front of the tomb and he's furious? What's that all about? I'll never forget the first time I came to understand what was happening in this story. It was a, a lonely Sunday morning and I was on a treadmill in my bedroom listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, just hoping that it would ground something in my soul because I felt so bereft out in this ocean of sorrow. And I remember he said something like, Jesus was standing at Lazarus' tomb, furious at the suffering of his beloved children. This is not what he created us for. And he was ready. He was ready to go to war, to end the suffering once and for all. And then I will never, ever forget what he said next. He said, and when Jesus stood at Lazarus' tomb, he wasn't just weeping and furious for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but he was weeping for you and every grave you would ever stand at. I was crying so hard at this point that I thought I was going to fall off the treadmill and hurt myself. But it changed the picture in my mind forever of me standing at a graveside with my girls all tucked in around me. Because now the picture was I was here and Jesus was there and my girls were in between us and we had locked arms. And we were facing that storm together and we were furious together and we were troubled together and we were full of sorrow together together. 
but we were facing it together. Because that's why we can trust God. That's the kind of God he is. There's a quote that says, which is more incredible, a man who raises the dead or a God who weeps? And Jesus is both. Jesus is both and that's why we can trust him. Because from that moment on, Jesus did go to war. As soon as he raised Lazarus from the dead, everything else that happens in his life is a direct path to the cross where he secured our victory, where he conquered death and sin and suffering. And then he rose again to prove that he had the power to do so. You see, when Jesus and I are standing locked arms with my daughters in between us, we're not just standing powerless in the suffering. We're suffering and we're victorious because there's hope. Because this is a God who raises the dead and a God who weeps. And that's why we can trust him. Suffering happens. And it's devastating. We won't always get to know the reason why but we can absolutely trust a God who weeps and raises the dead to bring good out of the worst possible things. I wonder if you would close your eyes for me. I wonder if you would just check in with your heart and see what the Lord has been saying to you in this time we've shared together. No matter which group you're in, I believe the Lord had something for you. And we wanted to provide a time of response now where uh, there are pieces of paper and pens up by the crosses on both sides of the room. And maybe your response today is going to be, I wanna be prepared, Lord. I want these truths to sink deep. Maybe your response is gonna be, I haven't been trusting you. I need to, I want to, but I need your help. Maybe your response is gonna be, all my life you have been faithful. But whatever your response is, this is your time. This is your time to mark it down, to seal it, write it, put it at the foot of the cross. You can stay there and pray, you can go back to your seat, you can pray with one another. This is our time to respond to what God has been doing. Let me pray over us. You know what, God, in moments like these, I'm just, I'm so overwhelmed by your mercy and your goodness, Lord. Father, you do restore us. It can be a treacherous journey, which you know, Jesus, you walked a treacherous journey. But I just praise you and thank you that you are a God who not only raises the dead, but you weep with us. So Lord, would you meet your people this morning? These beautiful people who come to Orange Friends, God, who are here, would you speak to their hearts? Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? Would you give them hope, Lord? Because Jesus, we need you. And we pray it in your name, amen.